I'll just explain it. So here we go. Just, just you hide the markers, right? They're in the office. Okay. And they were getting quite creative of where they were covering. Well, if I need to, then you guys can say, "Hey, we need the board." What I'm going to do is get us up to where we're at. Okay, and Zechariah is about the theme of Israel's deliverance and salvation. You know, finally, that's really what it, what it's about. And all the way through this book, Zechariah, this has been prophesied, it's been anticipated, it's hoped for, and now we are at chapter twelve, which gives us a description of it coming to pass. I mean, it's pretty incredible. So, what we believe is that the Bible teaches that there's coming a great day for the nation of Israel, a a day of deliverance, salvation for them, Uh, definitely a political victory, but much more than that, we're talking a spiritual victory. God has had this planned, and it's all been uh, prophesied repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, and even mentioned in the New Testament, and God details it right here in Zechariah. This is as clear as a picture that uh, one can see when we look through the book of Zechariah and go through it the way that we have, being able to cover all the chapters and each verse, and we get down to the detail. It's going to be a day when you could say it's really been a very tragic history of Israel, when you really think about them and throughout all of Old Testament history, but then for the last 2,000 years, but it's going to be reversed. And there's going to be great joy for Israel. And, of course, we had seen that in uh, previous chapters about the joy there. When we looked at chapter 11 last week, it was kind of a negative downside of it because it was dealing with uh, the chapter dealing with the coming of Jesus. And he's portrayed as the shepherd. And they reject the shepherd when he is going to come. We can look back in history and realize that's Christ's first coming when they rejected him. And, uh, you know, we, we saw that in the first part there of that chapter 11 um, through about verse 14. In verse 15 through 17, and we just spent about a couple of minutes on those two verses, or three verses, but it was Israel rejecting the true shepherd. After they've rejected it, then they will accept another shepherd, a false shepherd, and that would be the Antichrist. They would reject the false shepherd. And so that an end time would come, one that is called the foolish shepherd or the worthless shepherd, and he will not protect them, he will not feed them, but they will follow after him. And then what you have is, as they accept him, And what we want to remind ourselves about chapter 11 is that Israel refused Christ at His first coming. That's basically what 11 is about. But it does end up on an end time note. They refuse the true shepherd, will accept the false one, and as you move into chapter 12, we find that at the second coming of Christ, the very opposite happens this time, in which Israel will receive the true shepherd, when he comes back the second time. Of course, they've accepted the false shepherd, but there is a true shepherd to come after that again, the one who came the first time. So, okay, let's take Zechariah. What do we have? We had, the, we had all the visions, right? We had eight chapters of um, where Zechariah presents prophecy, and it's definitely prophetical, but basically what he's dealing with there is Zerubbabel's time. Remember that? All those visions. But you get a whole span that goes all the way till the end of time. But mostly he was dealing with their position. And he, they were going to build the temple, build the city, you know, the walls. Everything was going to be rebuilt. They were going to have their uh, city back and a nation back. And that was what it was going to be. Well, we know that that happened in history. That was fulfilled. It was fulfilled very soon after Zechariah had mentioned it. So, all of a sudden then, once we get through the eight chapters, okay, no no trouble with those eight chapters, right? It's basically, generally, I think you can say, 
right there within that time. With, I guess you can say, further prophecy ahead with little glimpses here and there. Okay, now, that leaves chapter 9 to 14. If we cover those eight chapters, the 9 through 14 is a very sweeping prophetic picture of the end time. So, here we are in 12 already, so we're right in that area now. We looked at 11 last week, and even though it was it, it was future because it was forecasting ahead of time that there was going to be the true shepherd and they were going to reject him. They did, didn't they? After they had dumped their temple and everything, like 300 and some odd years later, boom, Christ comes on the scene, they, they reject him as a nation, and so then you have 70 A.D., and then right at the end it says, but talking about shepherds, they'll reject him, but they will take a false shepherd and accept him. Now, uh, 9 to 14, like I say, it's, it's very prophetic. It's dealing with end time. I think you can say pretty simply, it's, that's what it's dealing with right up, and up in front. So it's, it's dealing with even futuristic to us. And you can take 9 to 14 in two parts. 9 to 11 deals with the first coming of Christ. Chapters 9, 10, 11. We just finished with uh, chapter 11, didn't we? That was the first coming, basically, is what that is. 12 to 14, which is where we're starting today, uh, that section is the second coming of Christ. Uh, Basically, futuristic. So, as we come to 12, He's returning to earth. He's going to set up the kingdom. And Zechariah's point in chapters 12, 13, and 14 is to show that when Christ returns, that Israel will be converted and there will be a kingdom established. And this is the God's promised kingdom. And it will be much glorious, much more glorious than what they had set up there originally when Zechariah told them that they're you know, that they will have their temple and such. But this other one is much more glorious, and that's what they always have looked to. That's the golden age. It's what everybody has that hope for. That's what Israel is looking for today. They're looking for that kingdom. They believe in a Messiah, they just don't believe He's come yet. That's the problem. So without Christ, you know, they have not their sins forgiven. If they don't trust in Him... And so that's where we start in our chapter 12. Uh, first section is three verses. Let's go ahead and read this. Chapter 11, by the way, was very difficult. But I think we broke it down and we saw how it works out. It's very poetic. But I think as we explain it there a little bit with what happened, if you can see first coming basically and through 14 verses there, that helps. They rejected him. Okay, now, he zooms it up now. If you take the first coming of Christ, he zooms it up who knows how many years. We're already 2,000 years since then, right? Okay, here we go. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. So, here we go. This is, I think, probably somewhat simpler to identify than it would have been, let's say, a hundred years ago. Before there was a nation of Israel, it'd be hard to picture this happening. But, uh, you know, we could say, well, this could be in the future. But we could see how this could happen in our time. This could happen tomorrow. I mean, it could happen at any time. We know that all the nations are surrounded, that are surrounding Israel. There could, uh, and, and they had kind of done it before, and in a little different ways. And there have been this, uh, what the Six Day War, and 
was it the 73, 68, 73, there was the 48 war, and we know that there have been many other attacks since then, but, um, so I think it's quite interesting that he mentions Israel here, he also mentions Judah, he mentions Jerusalem, and um, there are other terms that you will see, the house of David in 10, and, um, we can see it. It's definitely speaking about a particular people. You just can't come in and say, well, the, the, the church uh, now is always Israel whenever you see the word Israel. We, we can't say that because he's speaking about a particular place. Or do we just erase everything else that has always been spoken about Israel and now it has no meaning? And uh, that's frustrating whenever I try to discuss that with people because they will substitute that term and mean meaning the church, and it's not as we look here. Otherwise, we are not doing good expository work. Uh, he starts in verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord. It's a burden. If you go to chapter 9, verse 1, there was a, a word used in the same way. The burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach. Now that was uh, Syria, um, Damascus. And he started, actually it was starting all the way up at that border north of Israel and then going all the way through the center, all the way down to south Israel. And of course we did that a couple of weeks ago, I guess. And showed that God was going to judge Israel in chapter 9. Chapter 12 looks like it's starting like that again. The burden of the word of the Lord. But you see it twist into something a little bit different than chapter 9. It's really against the nations that are getting ready to attack Jerusalem. So he says the burden. And the word for burden there is, uh, and it's connotated, I think you could say here, uh, prophecy. It means grief. It means anxiety. Uh, the grief of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The anxiety of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. It's, it's not great news. You know, there's going to be a, you know, quite quite the burden. And it, it, as we look here, this is all about what God is going to do. He's in control. And it's great to know when you see these kind of things happening that God is still in control and the nations are not going to do whatever they just want to do. God will um, control these things the way it's going to be. So it's the word of the Lord and then it says, Thus declares the Lord... And notice he speaks of God who creates here. It's him who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and then forms the spirit of man within him. He's talking about creation of the earth and man. And that's about as mighty and powerful as we can imagine. If he can create this universe and he can create people and give them life, what other kind of power is there? Really? So he is in total control. So he sets them up with that. And this is all from God. If you look in verse 1, it's the word of the Lord, and thus declares the Lord in verse 2, Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup. Verse 3, It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. Verse 4, In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse. Um, verse... Um, Six. In that day I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot. Verse 7. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first. Verse 8. In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem. So, uh, I will. I'm going to do this. Here's my word. You know, It's not like the nations are rebelling and they're doing something that is not in God's plan, ultimately. Um, sounds like bad news but ultimately it's good news because it's going to bring on Christ so it's all from God right escape um, so God the God of creation is the God also of judgment uh, go to verse 2 it says behold that means check this out <laughs> check this out I am going to make Jerusalem a cup 
that causes reeling. Anybody ever heard of that phrase before? A cup that causes reeling, staggering. To all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. Kind of explain that. But that word for cup, it's a little bit bigger than probably your coffee cups you're holding. Uh, it really means a basin. A basin that everybody can get into. Um, the idea is uh, it's a basin and the, the people are so consumed about destroying Jerusalem, about overtaking Israel. All the nations of the world already are, aren't they? have been for quite some time. But this basin is what's going to cause trembling. And it's kind of related to drunkenness, almost like a spirit of stupor. They're so crazy and giddy about blowing away this little tiny nation, a little tiny city. They're so consumed with that. Everybody hates them. Well, we were just talking about that this evening. Nobody wanted it before. Right, and it's not like they have great something that everybody has to have. They're just a little tiny, and and all these huge nations are set out to get them. Isn't that amazing? Why would they bother? Doesn't anybody else in the world look at that and wonder what's the problem with that? Do they go around messing with people? Yeah. <laughs> just, just ignore them. They go away, you know, or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just thought that was fascinating. So God says, "Okay, it is time to do it." Go to Revelation seventeen six. You know how the enemy is. Just Here you have the what would be the Antichrist. The whole system has come up and. You have in verse 5, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And here's verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. Well, there's speaking of the Antichrist. And Antichrist is going to be involved at this very time when this is happening. If you take that European confederation, whatever those nations are there, the ten nations... You know, it's in Daniel, but the, the woman is drunk with the blood of the saints. This is this false religious system, and of course the political system is all involved. So the woman and the beast are involved. Uh, the woman would be that, um, the religious part of this. Um, anyway, the cup of, the gold cup full of abominations, like, okay, they, they've drunk. The, what, what are the, the, the to the dregs? What's in the cup, the gold cup, the abominations? And um, that would be something like a, a drunkenness, the stupor that they would have in killing saints, God's people. Uh, had quite a joy in killing Christian believers at that time that have come at that time. So, you know, it's. I, they take great joy in those kind of things. But all of a sudden, it's like God has this place that as they are taking all this joy, and it's almost, they're so giddy, they're so, so drunk with the power and everything that's going to happen here, that they're re- God is going to cause them to reel to all the peoples around. They're all going to surround Jerusalem. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. Jerusalem is in the, uh, Judah. Judah, the hill country, would be the country part there. Uh, if you go outside the city, you have the whole area of Judah. So, And that's really where it's going to start before it hits Jerusalem. It's not even going to hit Jerusalem, though. Jerusalem is not, not going to be destroyed here. You would think they wouldn't have a chance. Um, we'll see that in a moment. But anyway, that basin, uh, you know, it's a kind of a metaphor but God's going to cause them to tremble. As we as we first see it, you know, you see the burden of the word of the Lord, 
And here's the Creator God and everything. Look at all the power. He gets them all the way up to Jerusalem in that area, in Judah. And then they're going to be surprised. It says, um, verse 3, It will come about in that day. Have you noticed, have you seen in that day before? You will see that throughout all this chapter. Verse 3, in that day. Verse 4, in that day. Um, Verse 6, in that day. You can go on and on all the way through the chapter. In that day. This is called the day of the Lord. Which is... The day of the Lord can take the whole end times thing. You can call that the day of the Lord. It's a time of judgment. It can be more than 24 hours. But it's a time when uh, Christ is definitely returning. And taking this into context. If you go to chapter 14... We'll even get more detail when he mentions the Mount of Olives and Christ coming back. Chapter 14, verse 1, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured, seized, and it's like captured, the houses, houses plundered. The woman ravished, the woman ravished half the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. So that goes into further detail. We'll go back to 12 for now. We could really get into that too, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> but you can see how 12, 13, and 14 are relating to each other, especially 12 and 14. So um, there's going to be a heavy stone for all those peoples. A heavy stone. The, the word there is a stone that's used in weightlifting. And so apparently, like in their Olympics and their contest, athletic contests that they'd have, they would use heavy a heavy stone, then one a little bit heavier, and then another one heavier, just like what we would have on weights. Well, they would take such a one, whoever could lift the heaviest one, and nobody else could, would be the winner, right? Well, that is the idea here. And by the way, he explains that it's so heavy that it does what? All who lift it will be severely injured. They will be severely injured, uh, almost like cut in pieces, or a lot of times they worry about certain weightlifters, and if they don't have a spotter, somebody to catch them, that they can do what? Severely injure themselves, right? You could take the the groin area, or other th- the back, the whatever you know. Any your your whole body could be severely severely injured. Well, there's definitely going to be a severe injury. What they're going to do is they're going to try something. They think they can pick up this rock. They think they can pick up Jerusalem, Judah, and destroy it. Right? They think they can do that. Oh, remember they're hungry with power. Oh yeah, they're drunk with it. He's going to cause them to reel. This is great news because we finished with chapter 11 and it seemed like this is no good news for Israel. After we had all those 10 chapters and all of a sudden you get into 11 and it's like God is done with them. But then we get into chapter 12 and he jumps into the end time after the nation accepts the false shepherd we're getting close to the time that the true shepherd will return. People who trust in the Messiah then will be saved. As a nation, they will be saved from any further judgment. So it just looks like at this point that they can just do whatever they want, the wicked, and nothing's going to stop them. It's like they defeated that, that first coming of that... Messiah or whatever, so now they're just rampantly running free, destroying anything they want to prove how the power, how powerful they are. Right. Uh, God is only to give them reins and the time to do what they want to do. But of course, you know, if, if you were looking and be close to our time that we're living in, we don't know. You know, I, I, I would say, boy, this could be in our lifetime. I mean, and now it's so easy that it could be tomorrow, you know. But you know, I could be wrong. Things could change drastically, yeah, totally slow down. We could be talking hundreds and hundreds of years. But that's what he's you know? always done. He's done a, he 
you know, I mean, you can, you can get a sense of something that's coming, but then it's like he gets like a little bit of a quiet time again, and it seems like rest is there. Well, then the fall thing. Yeah. Rest was coming yeah. again, like because of how Today? much you're going through. <laughs> but I, I just like this, then all of a sudden, like, then all of a sudden, everything they've got so figured out just kind of <laughs> causes them nothing but troubles. Yeah. Well, look in uh, again. Look at Romans 11. It, it gives up a, a real quick summation uh, in verse 25. I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel, not fully, and that they're hardened and they will never be softened again. But it's partial hardening until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So the fullness of the Gentiles is all the way up to this point whenever they're coming against Jerusalem. That's Romans uh, 11, 25. And then 26 it says, so all Israel will be saved just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. So Zion, Jacob, who's that representing? Jerusalem, Judah, Israel, right? This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And that's exactly, by the time you get to the end of chapter 12, what Zechariah is saying. You know, taking away their sins and cleansing them. So that's, his, that's the way his time um, lot has been given. And they're given great promise here. I'm glad they got chapter 12 and we're ended with chapter 11 because that would have ended at <laughs> 70 A.D., which is really what chapter 11 was about for the first 14 verses, basically. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Until you get to the they, they rejected him, and of course, like uh, 40 years later, then uh, Israel was scattered everywhere, for the most part. Okay, it's obvious at the end of verse 3 that all the nations of the earth are going to be gathered against Israel. We see that in dealing with here and you know the, the peoples all around. But in chapter 14, says um, all of these nations, um, some have called this the battle of the ages. Some call it the greatest war in history, uh, the ultimate war. We know it as the Gentile invasion of Israel. It's commonly called the Battle of Armageddon. And we see that uh, several times throughout Scripture. It's, there's a place in Israel that's always considered to be the, what would be the greatest battlefield on earth. Quite the valley there, and uh, many, many miles, and got where armies of the world could actually meet. There have been generals that have stood there and said, wow, this is amazing. I've seen pictures of it in videos. I'm not a military man, so I don't know, but uh, definitely it's talking about that area. And, of course, a lot of that maybe have happened before he gets to Jerusalem and where these nations meet. Well, let's check into Joel 3.9. When it says all the nations of the world, are they talking about all the nations of the world or are they talking about all the nations of the world at this time well I definitely think you could say that at that time I would say that would cover the armies of the north okay. the armies of the south right. the armies of the east the armies of the west Okay, but you're not talking about places you're, you're like... You're taking all over the world. Like Germany and Great Britain and... Those well, they places. would be in a part of the what would be the Army of the West. And that would be that European Confederation. That would be the United Europe. So now, we're hearing a lot of things about that breaking yeah. up now, you know. But uh, that, that has changed even yeah. that whenever I started... Studying prophecy and presenting this, and, and look, you know, and I never—I don't want to be dogmatic about that, but it does make sense that Europe has always been kind of united in some way. But then they became—they uh, became united. What was it back in the seventies? Uh, you know, they only had a few countries, and then they—they they called them different names. But basically. Uh, they got to where you could travel from one country to the other, just like what we do here in the States. Mm -hmm. 
and they used uh, money in the, in the same way. So that became very united. Whatever it is, is that the Antichrist is going to be the one to unite them. Uh, that was Even before that, and that was back in the 80s there in itself, there was, yeah, there was already, and it's come under, boy, I wish I could, I can't even remember. There was the European Union. Yeah. But something like, yeah, they had a European always, Federation. I just always think of when, they, when it says all the nations of the world, I always think of the Middle East. Oh, they're definitely involved in this. Europe and they're all Let's take a look at it. Uh, like Australia. What about Australia? What, what about United States? <laughs> We're not really mentioned. But what's going to happen to us between now and then? Are we even going to be like what we are now? Well, with a lot of the, with what the Democratic Party is doing, they don't want our nation to be anything like what the United States has historically ever been. They don't even want to associate with us at all. With our backing of Israel, we can't probably be around when all this happens, but but I just I, I just when whenever I hear that all the nations of the world I think of at that time those guys out there on there in the desert. <laughs> those guys oh, Syria yeah. and, you know, Egypt and all oh, those definitely things. they will be involved. Matter of fact, let's let's look at some of these chapters. Um first of all go to Joel three um verse nine. And this is about the nations that are going to be judged in that last chapter of Joel. And verse 9, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Now, have you heard the backward side of that? That's the millennial kingdom where they will do the opposite. Take their swords into plowshares and pruning hooks into, or uh, uh, spears into pruning hooks. Let the weak say, I'm a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread for the wine press is full. There we go again with that idea of the bowl. That this is what's inviting them. There's something there that really drives them. They're, I mean, they're just driven. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That's what this is speaking of here. It's the same thing that's spoken of. Uh, so the, uh, a war, uh, dealing with nations. So let's get that army of the West. Um, go to Daniel. Daniel 2, you have, here, here it would be the army of the West, and we'll have to, have to check out another section, but uh, there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay. So yet a Roman Empire, it ruled for quite some time, and it really was kind of broken, wasn't it? It was still there, but it really didn't have the power that it once had. It was not an empire. So, it's been broken in that sense, in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. 
And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another and the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. There is where you get one glimpse of the Roman Empire, no doubt, in future to the writer Daniel, which would be, uh, Babylon has already done their thing, then he, Medo-Persians and then the Greeks, or uh, uh, the Romans, Medo-Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans. And that was the last empire that was there. But we know it's broken. It comes back to life. Go to Daniel 7. Verse 23, now he's talking about the fourth beast. There were four beasts in Daniel's vision. This gets rather complicated, but uh, be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the highest one, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in time and half a time. They will be given into his hands for time, times, half a time. Anyway, this would be taken, and I know I'm really just moving ahead real quick here, but that would be the fourth empire, Rome. And he's talking about Rome in that second part of it. You have the iron, then you have the clay. Uh, in chapter 2, what was it? Ten toes? Here we're talking what? Ten horns. The ten horns or the ten toes would be ten kings are going to rise out of there. So you could say ten nations that have come together in what the Roman Empire was originally, which would be your united Europe coming together. Out of them arises this one who speaks against the most high God, the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians speaks of him coming in, you know, uh, coming to say, uh, sitting at the temple and proclaiming himself to be God, right? And, of course, that, that's where that sense would come in. If you go to Revelation 17, you'll see this again. We were just there earlier. And 17, this, of course, you have the woman, which would be the religious um, harlot. Uh, then you have the Antichrist. Uh, you know, it's the woman and the beast. Um, if you get to, we're going to go all the way down to verse 15. And he said to me, the, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes, nations and tongues. And the ten horns, what did we say the ten horns were? Ten kingdoms, ten kings, which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, that as that false religious system, and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. At the time when he wrote that, the great city, it's known uh, in other places, where the, uh, what was it, over the city, uh, uh, over how many hills? Forgot now. Uh, five hills? No, sorry. Anyway, what he's really saying though, this would be Rome, or again, that Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire. Antichrist is involved with putting them together they have a common purpose, and they're going to do. They're going to give the kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. So again, that would be John speaking much further ahead into. And John wrote Revelation after 70 A.D. He wrote this between 90 and 95 A.D. So this is much greater than that 70 A.D. thing that happened to Israel. That's another key point. So, the Antichrist, and we're talking, what was it, did it say that it was a fake Antichrist? A false shepherd. A false shepherd. So is that then the destruction of that finally? 
They will make flesh. Daniel nine twenty four and twenty through twenty seven speaks of the there will be a firm covenant okay. for a week, right. the weeks of years, which right. is seven years, right? right? Okay. So in the middle of that is whenever he will come in and make a devastation, desecration so of the temple. If you're not familiar with scripture and you're not waiting for the Lord's return, this looks like absolutely no hope at all. Yeah, but they're slaughtering the evil mm -hmm. religious system. But they're the evil their government system. Mm -hmm. It's all right. horrible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. For those that are left. So where's the good news at? It's well, all over you, the place. Yeah, you don't know. Zechariah is about the Messiah. But there's a deception. <laughs> but there's reception into a deception into that religious system is that's called power, and this is the same thing we still we see go on today. And then it's a governmental kind of power, and they let and the deception stays there again, and it's just like finally it's like the governmental thing. Found, you know that religious system? We don't need you anymore. You you got us where we wanted it to be. And then it's like, so I wonder if the people back in the Dark Ages thought that that was this. Because oh. that's what that was, the government and the church. Mm -hmm. And eventually, the one will use... Uh, yeah, the, uh, well, the, whenever the Re Reformation happened, yeah, the Antichrist exactly. was Pope. Yeah, was the Pope, right, which right. I could see how they oh, could absolutely. interpret that. I would have too. Yeah, absolutely. And they could be involved in all this, but I think... It, it's involving a lot of religions altogether because isn't that what the world wants? Isn't that a what one world right now? religion. Ecumenical religion. Mm -hmm. They want everybody sure. to have some kind of a yeah. certain but they want to fit in with everything. And the, and the head imam. Yeah. That's right. They did their thing yesterday, didn't yeah, they? They, uh -huh. they made a little yeah. covenant. Yeah. And you go, hmm, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> so that answers the self righteous for their desire. And then you got the evil ones, which is in the, the government system. This and, is all horrible. And they're, they're good fellows. I mean, if I'm just Joe America, yeah. looking at what's going on, and I'm thinking, yeah, but I think they follow, you know, they follow which the is the lesser of two evils, because it's all evil. But I think they follow that system. They follow it because they think they're empowered, and that empowered is what fools you yeah. for a season until you find out you have no power. Yeah. I know I'm cutting through this stuff real quick because this is stuff I way back 30 years ago I used to be in this quite a bit and, and you know I, that's what isn't what I always did and that's the only thing but uh, well, we had you know, a lot Peter, of questions Peter back said then. He had to remind his people to What's that? Peter said he had to remind. Oh his people. yeah, right. We need reminders. Well, that's boy Zechariah is reminding us. <laughs> we need a real reminder, but so, the Lord, but God. Okay, now I think yeah. one of the most exciting ones is Ezekiel 38. Chapter 38 and 39. Because you have the army of the West then. And of course, I'm interpreting this. I know that sounds like in a real dispensational way. And I don't really call myself a dispensationalist. There's a lot of negative terms that come with that. But if it means dispensations, as such a nation of Israel, God has a plan for them. Uh, and of course, Christ, the Messiah, is the ultimate anyway. Everybody is saved the same way. They're saved through the person of Christ and by grace. Uh, nobody's saved differently because they're from a different nation. But you could interpret but, this in times maybe a little bit different. How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, down? well, and so we cut through that pretty down, quick, but that down. that is using what would be a traditional uh, approach. To otherwise, w what does it mean? What do, Did this happen before? Well, no, and what we're going to get into in Ezekiel certainly has not happened because it would never have happened before until just real uh, recently in the last few, I guess you can say decades now, but I, I see, I started teaching and studying the Word as back in the early 80s, 80s, 90s, that's four decades been involved with this. Wow. And, and we've seen a lot of this stuff going, wow, just a little bit at a time. <laughs> Thought it would have ended by now. No. The Lord's got to come back before we get to be 60. We just know it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, here we go. <laughs> Thirty-eight, one. Look at this. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, "Son of man, Ezekiel, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal." Uh, here it is. I'm not trying to be dogmatic, but I can give you what I really think it is. Uh, these places are noted by a lot of people as being Russia, uh, Gog, the land of Magog. You have Rosh. Um, Meshach, Tubal, they, they sound like particular cities um, there in that's dealing with Russia. And of course, Russia might have come from Rosh. Meshach, Tubal, 
and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you about and put jaws into your uh, hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. Now, and this happens to be a land that was north, okay, and somewhere in here it does say that it's, and like they're north of the Black Sea, okay, and he's bringing them down to Israel, okay, coming south. Now, what lines up with them is really where it really becomes very interesting. Persia, which is now dealing with what you were talking about, right, Penny? Right. When you're speaking of Persia, you're speaking of Iran, Iraq. Mm-hmm. We're familiar with these, these Mideastern nations. Ethiopia, which wouldn't probably be the Ethiopia as we know today, which is further south, but it would have been Ethiopia was known in the biblical times. It was probably pretty close to where Egypt was at, but it's definitely in, in that area. And Put, which would now be considered to be where Libya is at. Any of these nations sound familiar? They became allies of Russia. And like I always said before, and I'm still amazed at that, that this religious nation, religious nations that are really what? <coughs> what's, what's their religion? Muslim. <coughs> Muslim nations would come together with Russia, which is what? Atheistic. And they would never do that. Well, times changed. They very much are. They've been working together. Russia has been stockading all these countries, and we'll see that in a moment. Uh, Persia, Ethiopia, put with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer, which would be, uh, they consider that to be where would uh, East Germany be. So we're talking about Eastern Bloc nations here, along with the Middle East. Beth Garma from the remote parts of the north with all its troops, many peoples with you. So Russia unites with these and he says, be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you and be a guard for them. After many days you will be summoned in the latter years. You will come into a land that is restored from the sword whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, but its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. Ah, I'm going to bring him at a time when there was nothing there. It was a continual waste. Israel was a waste. They were flooded out by the... Um, the religious people there, you know, Muslims and such. It was a, it was nothing. Nobody wanted it. People in the Middle East didn't want that area. And all of a sudden, when Israel was given the land and became a state in '48, um, they're living securely there. Their people are living there. They're Israelites. You will go up. You will come like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. By the way, if you go back to verse 7, that they're assembled about you, these nations that were just mentioned along with Russia, you will be a guard for them. And in the literal Hebrew, it means you will be stockading them. You will be giving them the ammunition. You'll be giving them weaponry, artillery, you know, if we may. That is exactly what they have done for several years now. They still do it. So, uh, thus says the Lord God, in verse 10, it will come about on that day that the thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages in Israel. I will go against those who are at rest that live securely, all of them living without walls, having no bars or gates. Back at that time, they did. They don't have them now. I mean, it's you know they don't have the walls around each city to capture spoil and to seize plunder to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods who live at the center of the world center of the world you put all the geography together Israel is right at the pinpoint 
Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Are you doing this? Are you, are you attacking Israel? We've always heard about this. Enable your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver, gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil. Anyway, we can go on and on. That would take uh, forever to get all of this. But chapter 39 is a prophecy against Gog and all the invaders that come to destroy. And they will get so far as the north part of Israel and then God all of a sudden is... He says uh, on verse 11 of chapter 39, On that day I will give Gog a burial ground there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will block off all those who should pass by. So they will bury Gog there with all his horde, and they will call it the valley of Hamangog. Anyway, quite complicated, but are we seeing like the armies of the world coming together here? Well, you have the army of the west, you have the army of the north, which gets together some of the people from the Middle East, and even a little bit of south. If we were going to Daniel 11, verse 40, we'll get some more people of the south. Um, it's really about time to stop. I'm not going to get to finish this chapter, am I? Well, I have to do this next week. 11.40... At the end time, the king of the south will collide with him, and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships, and he will enter countries, overflow them. This is the Antichrist here, right? You have the king of the south, you have the king of the north, and they're entering, they're just conquering countries, moving on through them, flowing, passing through, verse 41. He will also enter the beautiful land. What's that? That's Israel. And many countries will fall, but these will be rescued out of his hand. Edom, Moab, the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out, or Ammon, Ammon, Jordan. Same place. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. But he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and Libyans and Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas. Most would say that would be the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea, or the Sea of Galilee, um, probably the... Dead Sea, maybe. Um, and the beautiful holy mountain, which is Jerusalem. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. So there are the armies of the west, the armies of the north, the armies of the south. There's one other army, and I'll quit with that. It's uh, actually found in Revelation 9, Revelation 16. And the armies of the east, they're all meeting together and they're all converging on Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Chapter 9, verse 13, the angel, sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is for God, one saying to the sixth angel, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels, you know, you know what the Euphrates does? It separates the east from the west, the, as far as the, the far east. That's, that's what's always kept China from crossing over. It's always been the, the dividing line, always has. But what happens? Four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. 200 million man army. Where would you get a 200 million man army at the time of John? I don't know if there were 200 million people living in the world. Well, we know this is China. Far East. They, you know, they can put together, or they have, they have had that many at uh, one time before. 
I heard the number. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those that sat on them, the riders had breastplates. Anyway, that's chapter 9. Let's go to 16. Then we'll, we'll have to get out of here. In chapter 16... Here's the Euphrates mentioned again. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, spirits of demons, forming signs that go out to the kings of the whole world, gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Anyway, and behold, I'm, I'm coming like a thief, uh, right? Uh, blessed is the one who stays awake. Verse 16, they gathered them together to the place which is in Hebrew, which is called Harmageddon. Armageddon. So that's the army of the east. The, the Euphrates would actually be literally dried up. You can drive all your tanks, your trucks, all the stuff that you'd need if they're using that kind of weaponry and be able to you know, to cross over without any problems. Of course, there have always been the mountains, and then you have that great river. Uh, nothing to stop them in, in that way, uh, even though they could build little bridges and all of a sudden it's all dried up. There is no stopping them. So the east and the north and the south and the west, they're all there, gathered together. And what happened? What happened? How did I only get... Did I get three verses? Is that, <laughs> is that what we did? I'm going to blame it on Penny. Because you said, are these nations of the world? But you know what, Penny, in all fairness, I can't blame it on you because I was going to do that anyway. Because what does that mean, right? Well, obviously, because you have more down here, so it wasn't just me. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. So our last half hour, we showed how that could possibly be that. Anyway, trying not to be real dogmatic, but I think there are a lot of verses that can really help support other ones. And uh, it's kind of interesting in our time. Um, let's pray. Don't you get scared reading that? Don't oh, you? I get I mean, excited. I get, I get scared. I think if i got to be here and see all of this, and, I mean, yeah, how is all this going to look? Who says you're going to be here? A third of the people? <laughs> But Penny, yeah. he's a third of humanity out. wiped out, buddy. But, you know, hey, they'll get us because we're old. Oh. Okay? They'll just give us a nice little it's, pill. It's frightening. To me, it's mm. frightening. I, I just... I mean, I understand that I, you know, the well, Zechariah that. wrote this it's though after. Like this. Remember the bad the Lord news. Lord doesn't scare yeah. me to death anyway. Yeah. Okay. But remember the bad. And and I know. And in another sense, no, I wouldn't want to go through all that. But and what a great world war, right? But chapter eleven ended with that bad news. When you see 12, it sounds like real bad news and all of a sudden, of course, we didn't get to finish chapter 12 up. And so, this is really good news for them. Otherwise, we could have been left at chapter 11 and that could have been it. But no. Yeah. Uh, we need to pray. There's supposed to be a remnant of what? There's not going to be anything left of God's elect. There will be the sheep and the goats. Of God's elect. I'm just saying, I want the rapture to happen. All Israel will be saved. All the people that he it wants to be, that are elect. I he want will the save. rapture before all but, that starts. But you got to go back. <laughs> no matter what, we got to go, what we will go through. Because as far as he wants us to, he also gives us the faith to succeed through that, to stay with him. Now it's scary. And to be, it's scary. It well, let's pray. And it's exciting. Let's, it's exciting. <laughs> Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And, Really, it, it shows that you will have to ultimately conquer sin. It's all in your total control. And that's why, even though there are evil things happening in the world, and of course yesterday our country proved it again when you have uh, a big percentage of people that vote against a live baby laying on the table, and they would favor to kill it. Uh, we are simply... Uh, Grieving, we're, we're sad over how far our nation has come. I would have thought, Lord, there would have been most people, at least there, there, there could have been, there should have been a hundred percent vote the right way on that. And Lord, we are seeing before our eyes every day evil and wickedness abound. And Lord, it's frightful times. 
But yet, this is why you give us the scripture that we have just read. And as we read further, we see that you are going to conquer all this sin, wickedness, and evil. You will bring on destruction to all those who do not trust in you and to all those who are your people. This is great news, not only to the nation of Israel, but to all your believers of all time. And uh, as we await here, we, we see the hope. Because the only hope really is in Christ and coming back and restoring this uh, uh, the kingdom and bringing it into the way that it ought to be. Not just restoring, but bringing in a new kingdom where you rule and reign. And Lord, with that kind of victory, we walk out of here with our heads high, trusting in you, knowing full well that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen. And he also tells us don't fear. Right. Do not be yeah. anxious. This all this gives hope. So remember the rest of the book here. Or <laughs> protect us in whatever way he he wants to protect us. Or he gives us